Well, um, it's great to be with you guys. Um, it's, uh, this is the second time I've come in a year, and I'm, I was actually surprised that Matt invited me to come again. It's like, are you sure? You heard me the first time. Are you sure you want me to come again? So I feel encouraged, and I feel loved, which is a good thing, I think. Maybe. <laughs> so um, it always is great to be with Matt and Grace. I didn't get to spend much time with Grace, but I get to wa- got to watch the rugby match last night. I was rooting for England, even though it looked like uh, Wells was playing much better. Nobody liked that. I shouldn't even say anything. All right, let me move on. So, um, you guys, uh, Matt is a dear friend, and Matt is um, providing such great leadership globally, um, even in our own church. We just launched a theology course that Matt uh, was spearheaded, and 40 people signed up for it, and they are pumped and excited. A lot of people that are feeling a call to ministry, and uh, in addition to that, Matt has uh, joined me in Nepal and India and made a substantial contribution there, and so it's so great to be in partnership with him, but I know he's traveling a lot, and his investment into the nations, into even my own life and our own church has been substantial and so appreciate him. So I want you guys to know that Matt's doing incredible work and he's making a difference in a lot of people's lives, which is so great. Our church is doing well. Um, last year, towards the end of the year, we were uh, trying to buy an old church building and so we raised money. We had a campaign to the church. We need $400,000 in 90 days. And uh, there's this amazing response to the church. We raised $620,000 in 90 days, which was phenomenal. And then we found out that we couldn't buy the building. So we had to terminate our, our contract uh, just because it was going to be way too expensive to, to um, uh, renovate it, which, which uh, was kind of a big letdown. But now as we turn the year, January, February, we've seen... A lot of awesome things happening in the life of our church, and nobody asked for their money back. We, we said, listen, we asked you to give money for this down payment, so you, anybody who wants their money back can take their money back, or you could reallocate that money to a building fund, and nobody took their money back, which is just incredible. So now we have this big lump of change ready to uh, buy and acquire our own land and then uh, build our own building. So we're praying into that. We're also praying uh, for you guys, uh, next steps as far as building and, and what God has for you. Uh, and in that regard, a lot of parallels there. Matt and I are encouraging each other with that. So, all right, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. So I was... I, I planned on talking about prayer this morning, and then I woke up this morning and go, wait a second, Terry Virgo is known as the guy who prays, and you guys have probably had a lot of input on prayer. So I started to feel a little bit intimidated, then I spent a lot of time praying to God, and it's like, okay, God, I'm going to do it anyways. Encourage them this morning. So are you guys on page with that? So we're going to talk about prayer. Here's the first thing I know that every time we talk about prayer in church, that everybody goes, oh, okay, here's the prayer message, so let's all feel guilty that we're not praying enough, right? And, and let's, let's, at the end of service, like, determine that we're going to pray more. I don't want that to be the tone this morning. This is very much an invitation. Here's the deal. There's nobody in this room that says, man, I got this prayer thing handled. I pray enough. I don't need to pray anymore. I've actually perfected the art of prayer. Anybody in this room? 
No, everybody in this room would say, I could pray better and I can improve my prayer life. Are we all in agreement? So we're all on the same page. And so what I want us to do is look at this passage in terms of an invitation. Invitation. Jesus invites us to life. And part of experiencing life is in our prayer life. And so this morning, as we go through this passage, I want us to take this as Jesus is inviting us to experience life in here. So Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So here's a well-known passage, this passage Jesus is teaching on prayer. Um, The disciples, out of all the things they uh, could have asked Jesus, there's only one time that the disciples asked Jesus, would you please teach us something? The one thing that he asked them to teach them is that, they, that, that Jesus would teach them how to pray. So Jesus is teaching them how to pray. What he says is to ask and to seek and to knock. And this, these words are in the present imperative. What, what, it, what it means is Jesus is saying, I want you to ask And I want you to keep on asking. I don't want you to stop asking. I don't want you to ask one time and that be the end of it. No, I want you to ask and I want your life to continue to ask. I want you to continue to breathe out your faith by constantly asking me. And not just to ask, but to seek and to keep on seeking and to knock and keep on knocking, to not stop. Now, I've preached this passage a lot and and so I've always taken these three words of asking, seeking, and knocking as synonyms. They're just, they're just ways that Jesus is expressing you're to pray. So really what he's saying in this passage is pray and pray and pray. And I was listening to a message about six months ago by a guy named John Tyson. And he talked about the nuance of each one of these words, which I found incredibly helpful. Here's what one of the commentaries says about this Um, verse. It says this about asking, seeking, and knocking. It says, it seems better to suggest that Jesus is indicating a rising scale of intensity in one's prayers and points to the persistent manner of life lived before the Father. So when we're looking at asking, seeking, and knocking, something like highlighted to me, it just like became clear to me, wow, this is amazing. This is actually a progression in prayer life that Jesus intends for all believers. So I want us to picture this morning that this this is a rising scale of intensity, but it's also a progression as we grow in our prayer life. So at the base of a good, healthy prayer life is this this practice of asking. So that, that's the base. We just constantly ask God. And then, then we build upon that asking by seeking. And then we build upon that seeking by knocking. So that's what I want us to kind of picture this morning, what we're going to be talking about. Let's walk through these three, asking and seeking and knocking, what Jesus asks of us, that we would ask and seek him and knock. So first... Ask. We're told to ask. We are told to ask. To pray is to ask, and to ask is to pray. And what we are doing when we ask, we are demonstrating the relationship that God has established. When we pray to God, he says, pray our Father. 
We pray to God as Father. He is our Father. So out of all the ways that God could have described the relationship, he could have said, I am the commander. Or he could have said, I am the president. Or I am the, the king of your life. And that's how you are to relate with me. The way that God has chosen to relate with us is to say, I am your father, and you are my son, or you are my daughter. So the, through the work of Christ, through his work, he, he lived the life that we couldn't live. He died on the cross in, punish, in, in our place, in punishment for our sins, and he t- absorbed the wrath of God so that we can have reconciliation with God and have forgiveness with him. And because of the work of Jesus, we have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. And so when we relate to God, when we relate to God, he's not this distant, and he's not this aloof, he's not this indifferent God. No, he is our father. He is our father. Now, in this room, we've had an earthly father. Some of us have had absent fathers. My wife grew up not ever knowing her father. I grew up with a great father. No matter where we fall on the spectrum of how we experienced our natural father, God identifies himself as our father, and he is the perfect father. Anything that we have seen good in an earthly father, he is the perfection of that. He is good. He is kind. He is loving. And that's the way that God wants us to relate with him. He actually wants, it's not like a a title. No, he actually wants to be our father, and he wants us to relate to him as sons and daughters. And this this means when we approach God, we don't approach him with with kind of uh, independent, that doesn't please God. We don't approach God with expressing our self-sufficiency. That doesn't impress God. See, if God is our Father and we come to Him as He has designed us to come to Him, we come to Him with humility. We come to Him with dependence. We come to Him acknowledging our need. We come to Him acknowledging that He is the one that could provide all the need that we have. We come to Him asking. So we have this idea that if we are kind of spiritually mature, we don't ask. God. Like if you progress in your maturity as a Christian, you stop asking God for stuff. And the Bible doesn't teach us that. Sometimes we think that, man, I'm not going to bother God with my problems. I'm not going to burden God. This is just a small problem. There's significant problems in the world. Don't you know the, the person in the church is really sick? God, would you answer their prayer? Don't worry about my prayer. And there's nothing in Scripture that teaches that. Spiritual maturity is to continue to ask, even for the small stuff. Why? Because it's an invitation to, for us to enter into a relationship with God where we are expressing what is on our heart and what is on our mind and allowing God to relate with us and speak to us. This is what God wants. When we ask God, we're actually honoring God. When we don't ask, it's actually dishonoring God because we are not relating with God the way that he has intended. He wants to be our father and to, and to, and to relate with us as our father. This is his intention. So Jesus, in, in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, he's given his final instructions to the disciples. This is one of the longest teaching of Jesus. And what he is teaching them is what to do when he leaves and how to follow him and be a disciple. And and what he says multiple times over in John 14, 15, and 16 is ask. 
he asks, and he's, he says, ask that, that um, I may be glorified. He says, ask that um, you may bear good fruit. Ask that your joy may be full. Jesus' intention is that we would continue to ask. It's for our good that we ask. We want to ask him. Now, it's easy for kids to ask. So if there's a father and son relationship, and it's so easy for kids to ask. In fact, the default response of kids is, is to ask. They don't have a problem with asking. I have four kids, and um, in, in, uh, in Christmas, they've been asking for an iPhone. Now, this might be a contentious subject in the room, but we were debating on, do we get our kids an iPhone? Not that we would get them, we'd give them our old phone uh, that, that's sitting in our drawers, and so they know that they're there, and like, yeah, why can't we use those? So we finally came to the decision, okay, we're going to do it, and we put all kinds of restrictions, we did a lot of research, made sure there's restrictions on it, made sure they're locked down, they have limited time, and, and those kind of things, so they have their phones, and I've set them up, each up with a iCloud account, and so now what happens is when they want an app, they have to request it. So I get these notifications on my phone, and I realize this is a really bad idea because <laughs> they're always coming out with these silly, dumb games constantly, and so I'm getting these app requests. And so what typically happens, it happens on almost a daily basis, I get an app request. I'm, I'm downstairs, maybe in my office, my phone alerts me, Graham, my nine-year-old boy, he has requested an app, ding, you know, it comes up, I'm like, oh no, not this again. So I close it and keep on working, and then I get a text, hey dad, I just sent you an app request, would you please approve it? You know, swipe that, delete that. And then, and then about a minute later, uh, he comes into my room. Hey, Dad, I just sent you an app request. Um, will you please approve it? I'm like, no, I'm not going to deal with that right now. I don't want anything to do. I, like, I want like a designated time, just one 10-minute block per week. That's the only time you could request apps. So go away, right? And so my kids are super smart, so, and... And savvy. So about three minutes later, he knocks on my door, opens it quietly. He comes and he, he cuddles with me, doesn't say anything. <laughs> and then as soon as he locks eyes with me, I look at him, he'll say, Dad, will you please approve my app request? <laughs> See, my, my son has no problem asking. He doesn't think to himself, man, I better not ask again because my dad might smite me. My dad might reject me and kick me out of this house. There is no thought in my child's mind, no matter how much they ask, they are not going to get rejected. And they know that. There's a security and there's a confidence that they could ask me whatever they want, whenever they want. And that is just part of the relationship. I'm the dad. He's the kid. He gets to ask. He gets to be dependent. And I'm supposed to provide. Now, I'm an earthly dad. And that's what this passage says. It says, how much more will your father, how much more will your father who is in heaven give you good gifts? See, he is way better. Like, I am hope I'm a good dad. But God our Father is way better. Way better. We need to get this into our hearts. This needs to become a conviction that, that when we ask, we are honoring him. 
that when we continue to ask and just lay out all the requests before him, he's actually pleased. He's not bothered. He doesn't have like a limit to him. He's actually pleased that we come before him. Now, here's the problem. that We don't ask because we're adulting now. We're adulting, right? So the, the, the normal progression is you're born very dependent, very dependent. You need all kinds of help. And then as you grow, the intention is that you become more and more independent. And then when you leave your house, you've reached a place of self-sufficiency and independence. And we call that maturity. But in the kingdom, it's completely opposite. In the kingdom, we are called to be childlike, meaning that as we grow and mature as Christians, we move from dependence to, sorry, independence to dependence. We become more and more dependent on God, and this is what he wants from us. And as you become a b- believer, so like when I was a, uh, about seven, I, I mean, I was new, new Christian, and my dad was teaching me about praying and asking God, and, and so there was one day that uh, my dad was a principal of school, and so he had this big old key ring, I mean, a massive key ring of like 100 keys. Remember the days when like, you have a ton of keys? And so he... Uh, he said, Brian, I need you to go get something on the other end of the campus. Here's the key. Go in this room. Get this thing. Come back to me. So I'm like thinking, okay, i got to do this thing. So I take the, the key, and I'm running as fast as I can. And right before I get to the door, I drop the keys. And I'm like, oh, no. My dad's getting so mad. He needs me to get this right now. And so I just said, Jesus, help me. And I pick up one key, and I put it in the door, and I unlock the door and open it. I'm all, it works. Hallelujah. (laughs) And there's something of when we become a Christian and we're new in our faith that, like, God just answers, like, these radical and silly requests. We see God do that. So we, we see that in like the small things and the silly things and God's faithfulness in those things. But we also see things in the, the big aspects of life. One of the biggest decisions that we made, my wife and I, of what we were going to do in life is when we decided to leave everything in California and go plant a church in Texas, Houston, Texas, with nobody we knew. And uh, we were praying and continuing to pray. We knew that we were going to plant a church someday, and we just didn't know when, and there was this particular week where God confirmed it in my heart, and my, God confirmed it in my wife and her own experience, and we came together at the end of the week and both shared, no planning, no, there was no plan on us sharing. We just came together. It's like, wow, God, you're speaking to us. And as we begin to pray, God, would you open up a door? We asked, God, would you... Would you show us what to do? We don't know what to do. We know that you want us to plant a church. Where do you want us to plant a church? And we asked. And as we asked, we just both started to feel. We knew of a story in Houston, Texas. There was four couples that were meeting in a home, and they felt like God had brought them together to help start a church plant. And I knew one of those couples. And, and so we, as we started to pray, we started to feel like, wow, God's, something's happening. So she had this own... Her own experience where she was praying and God spoke to her to move to Houston. And I did. And, and so we were just like, well, she's like, well, what do we do now? I said, we do nothing. Let's just ask God to confirm it. So we, we, made, we made a decision that we were not going to, to pursue anything. We're not going to let anybody know what God had put on our heart. 
We said, God, if this is you, would you confirm it? And so we asked God. And so one of the guys in the church in Houston called me, and I refused to call him. I didn't want him to know that we were interested. He called me, and he said, Brian, you, God's doing something here. You have to do something. And uh, so I got off the phone with him, and my wife was right there, and Rachel's all, who's that? I said, that was Jimmy. He wants us to come to Houston, Texas. She goes, no way. She goes, what do we do? I said, we do nothing. Let's ask God to confirm it. So the next day, uh, someone in our church calls us and said, hey, we want to buy your house. <laughs> like, we didn't, we didn't tell anybody. We didn't tell anybody that we wanted to move or what was happening. And then the next day, one of Rachel's best friends called and said, I had the weirdest dream. I dreamed I moved to Texas. Like, you ask God, and God, in his faithfulness and kindness to us, he, he responds. He responds. We ask God, and it's his good pleasure to respond to our request. So the base level of praying is to ask. We should continue to ask. We ask for the small stuff. We ask for the big stuff. All of it is in the scope and the realm of the, the, the encouragement that Jesus gives us to ask. We ask God for everything. But we move on from prayer, from just asking God from stuff, to seeking God. Seeking God is going beyond just asking. It's not seeking the things that God will just do for us and what he can do for us. It's seeking God himself. When scripture talks about seeking, it's usually in the context of seeking after God. And this is what God wants from us. He doesn't want us to just seek him for the things that he can do for us. What he wants us to do as we mature in prayer, to be passionately uh, desirous to encounter him and to know him more deeply. This is what God wants, not that we just ask, but that we move from our asking or build upon our asking, seeking. Scripture talks about this. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, there's a condition there. It says you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with half of your heart. See, that relationships never work when there are two people that are engaged in a relationship and one person is like, eh, you know, I could, sure, the relationship's fine. It's, I could take it or leave it. It's okay. That, that, there's nothing inspiring about that relationship. See, what Jesus does is he encourages us and prods us to grow in our prayer life. And, and sometimes we experience this. Like when we just get saved, we're, we ask God and like God shows up and delivers. And it's like, wow, God, you're amazing. And then a couple years go, goes on in our life. It's like we ask and it's like, God, you're not responding. Like when I was a new believer, I, there was a lot of times you just responded right away. But God, you're not doing it anymore. And sometimes God in his faithfulness is pushing us towards growth and maturity. And part of the process of growing and maturing is that he actually waits for us to seek him with all of our heart. See, that's what a healthy relationship is. It's two people seeking one another. God is doing his part. There's nothing wrong on his end. What he is doing is waiting for us to respond, that we would seek him with all of our heart. We long for him. That we would want to just spend time in his presence and worship and in prayer 
and in experiencing him and encountering him to, to, to uh, not just know him or not just know about him, but to know him. It's about time with him. It's about walking through our day, being aware of his presence. It's about practicing the presence of God. It's about being with him. And that's what he wants. He wants that we grow and we mature from asking to seeking to just spend time in his presence. We have this amazing tutor. It's the book of Psalms in our Bibles. It's David who had a heart after God. And we have these declarations of David expressing his heart before God. It's really a tutor for our own hearts. I make it a practice to read Psalms, at least, at least a chapter of Psalms every single day because I want my heart to be formed and shaped. I want to desire him more than anything else. I want there to be a reordering of my loves. I want to say with all of my heart that God, you are the one I want more than anything else. I was reading uh, Psalms 83 this morning. It says, better one day in your presence than the thousands elsewhere. It said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house. It's just so desperate, so longing. So often, our lives are distracted by so many competing loves. What God wants us to do is to reorder our loves in our heart, that the one thing that we want more than anything else is him. And he's pleased by that. And we move from our seeking into knocking. So we're building, asking, and seeking, and knocking. And we begin to knock. We begin to lay hold of the promises of God. We begin to contend in our prayer life. And we begin to get bold in our prayer life. And uh, in the parallel passage, so we read Matthew chapter 7. In the parallel passage, in Luke Luke 11, Jesus adds to um, this exhortation to ask, seek, and knock with the parable of the impudent servant. There's the parable, the story that Jesus gives us is there's this um, neighbor, and this neighbor has uh, unexpected guests. And in their culture, they they need to provide, open up their home, provide a place to stay, and provide food. The problem, and, and if they don't do it, it brings shame on their family. So this is a culture imperative. And so guests arrive, and he doesn't have food to feed his guests. Shame on this family. So in the act of desperation, it's late at night. So he goes to his neighbor's house and starts knocking. The problem is his neighbor is asleep. The kids are all put up. He's finally in bed. Every, the house is quiet. Everything's nice. And the neighbor starts knocking. Neighbor starts knocking, and the neighbor does probably what most of us would do, unless you're nicer than me. Go away. The kids are asleep. We're all in bed. We'll deal with it in the morning. But, but that wasn't enough for the neighbor. The neighbor had to keep on knocking, keep on knocking. And, and finally, the neighbor says, fine, I will open up the door. Here's some bread so that you can feed your guests. What Jesus does is he commends this neighbor for his impudence. Impudence is shamelessness and it's boldness. My son Graham, when he asks for an app, he's shameless and he's bold. And, and Jesus applauds this. He's pointing this to asking and seeking and knocking. He's saying, I want you to be shameless and bold. And, and the, 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 
the parable goes even further than we probably understand. Because Jesus gives the parable of a friend who is willing to get up for his friend. But we're not Jesus' friends. We're his sons and we're, we're his daughters. The passage ends in Luke 11 with, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good gifts and give you the Holy Spirit? See, we have a good Father. We, we don't come to God based on friendship, which we are friends of God. We come to God based on our sonship and daughtership. We're able to ask and to come before him boldly. So when we start to knock, we begin to move from not just seeking him, but to aligning our heart with what God wants to do. We begin to, begin to seek his purposes. See, God is on a mission, and God is currently active in the world, and the kingdom of God is advancing, and God is doing a lot of things, and he invites us to participate with him. So when we knock, we start to lay a hold of the things that he's already determined to do and the things that he said he would do. We start to lay a hold of the promises of God. We know there's promises of God. We begin to lay hold of those promises and said, God, you said, it's with boldness and impudence. And you hear people in their prayer life, and it's usually the mature saints in the room. We hear them praying, and you're like, you're like a little shocked, like, Wow, you're talking to God like that? Like start to say, God, you said, God, you want to do this. You have promised that you would do this. God, would you do it again? We start to lay hold of God's promises. We start to lay hold uh, of the things that we know God, what God wants to do. Like reading your Bible, praying, Looking at the inception of this church and what God is doing amongst you, surely you come to the conclusion, God, you want to do great things amongst us. You want to do great things in pool. God, we know that you want to do great things in pool. God, would you do them now, God? We ask, Lord, that you'd break in now, and would you, would you do them, Lord? Some people think that this is rude. Some people think that asking God more than once is is just rude and inappropriate. I think, well, God is God, and if he heard you ask once, that's enough. But that's not what God has designed the relationship to go. Do you know that Jesus prayed three times? Jesus was persistent in prayer. Do you know that Paul prayed three times? There was this persistence in prayer. We're told in Scripture to be constant in prayer. We're told to pray at all times. We're told to pray without ceasing. And when we start to get prayer into our hearts and becomes a value and a practice, and it, when it becomes the way that we breathe out our faith, man, we get into this place of knocking and crying out to God, God, would you do what only you can do? We start taking hold of the prophetic words what God wants to do. And this church isn't here by accident. Jesus is leading his church. Jesus is continuing to lead his church. Your former, your days behind you aren't, aren't better than your days ahead of you. God wants to do incredible things through you. God wants to continue to work through you. He wants to come through on your behalf. And as I was praying this morning, it was like, my prayer this morning was, God, can I be an encouragement to this church? I want to encourage you. I believe God wants to encourage you. 
We believe God wants to encourage you to tell you that, man, the things that God wants to do in this church are great, are great. Be of good cheer. Be of hope. Because God wants to do incredible things. So we lay hold of God, of what he wants to do. We're told in James 5 of Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah was this prophet. He was an amazing guy. And it says he prayed and it stopped raining. Amazing thing. I mean, that's like high, high spiritual maturity level, right? Anybody do that? I haven't done that. So he knew that it was time to pray for the rain to come again. It says he had to pray seven times. James 5.17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So he's praying. Can you imagine what that looks like? Like, I, I, I don't know. So the neighbor, the impudent neighbor, I wouldn't never have done that because I don't have impudence. I'm not that bold and I'm not that shameless. Then you look at Elijah and so he's praying, saying, I know that God wants to bring rain again. I know it's time. So he goes before God and he prays, God, send the rain. He goes to his servant, hey, is there rain coming? He's so expectant that like, he's, his servant's going to look on the horizon, and rain is coming. Is there rain? The servant says, no, there's not rain. Oh, man, the prayer didn't work. I thought that prayer was going to work. I was sure, I was sure God wanted to bring the rain. So he goes again, God, I know you want to bring the rain. God, bring the rain like you said you would bring the rain. God, bring the rain. Servant, no rain cloud. This happens seven times. We grow in our... confidence in God, when we grow in our spiritual maturity, we start to lay hold of the things that God wants to do amongst us. There's no doubt in my mind that there has been so many prayers prayed in this church for years. God, we know you want to do this. Would you do it again? God, would you open up a door that only you can open? God, would you save people in this community? God, would you break in? Would you free people from addictions? God, would you send forth your light and dispel darkness? God, would you bring uh, hope to the hopeless? Prayer after prayer after prayer. And what God wants from us is to continue to keep on asking, continue to keep on seeking, and continue to keep on knocking. We were in a prayer meeting about seven years ago as a church. And it was a prayer meeting like you're going to have tonight. And uh, there's this moment where it's like God is going to do something amongst us. So I stood up and I said, we want to see two things. And this was a bold proclamation. I said, we want to see two things happen by the end of this year. I believe God, it's in the heart of God. I said, one, we're going to move into our own building. We were renting a school hall. We had knocked on so many doors to see if we could move into a building. There was nothing. There was nothing available. We had no money. I said, we're going to move into our own building by the end of the year. I said, two, we're going to go into a nation where they're reaching unreached people groups, and we're going to start supporting church plants. Man, by God's grace, at the end of that year, we moved into a building. 
I went to a pastor of a church that was dying, and I said, our church is growing, your church is not, give us your building. <laughs> said in the most loving way. And man, we moved into that building. And within a few months, I met a guy that said, hey, we're doing work into Nepal. Why don't you come with us? I went there two times that year. We started supporting pastors. And now we're seeing churches being planted. Amen. God, you know, God has his plan. He has his way, the intention of what he wants to do. So we lay hold. It's his intention that we lay hold of the promises that God has spoken. Would you please pray with me? God, I thank you for this church. God, I thank you, Jesus, that you are leading this church. God, that your intention for this church is great plans. God, you want to work through this church into the city of Poole to make a difference, see lives saved and people's lives transformed, people made as disciples of Jesus. God, we want to see breakthrough happen in this city. God, we pray, Lord, that you would encourage this congregation, we encourage these people. God, that you would come and robe them with courage and robe them with confidence about what you want to do. Thank you, God, that you're so faithful. Thank you, God, that you're so kind.